You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation brought to you by Go Wild. Now, what is Go Wild? Go Wild is the fastest growing and most active app for hunters, anglers, and outdoorsmen. So what do you do? You log time, you earn points, and you get bragging rights. Now, Go Wild isn't about really your follower count like uh, a lot of people try to do in some of the other social media apps. However, it allows you to earn points. And over time, the app will be adding functionality to reward users for their time outside. So go sign up and start logging your points today. Uh, They're giving giveaways away weekly. You can win anything from $500 coolers to $150 in fishing tackle to optics to hammocks to broadheads to fly rods and tons of other great stuff that they're uh, giving away. All you have to do is sign up and start using the app. Um, And unlike a majority of the other social media apps, you know, aka Instagram, aka Facebook, Go Wild supports hunting. They even donate some of their reno, uh, their revenue back into conservation groups. So they're not going to tell you, hey, you can't post pictures of your guns. They're not going to tell you, hey, uh, you got to walk lightly around trophy picks. This platform supports the lifestyle that we choose for hunters and anglers. So sign up for Go Wild today. And all you have to do for more information is visit time to go wild. Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. Today we have Aaron Lasko back on the podcast because he has one heck of a story to share about being attacked by a mountain lion while elk hunting on opening weekend. Before we jump in, we invite you guys to check out our partner, Arrow Hunter, They offer the kite and the Kestrel hunting saddles, two different options for two different sets of preferences. I was wearing my kite this past weekend when I filled my first doe tag. It felt great to be back in the woods, and I had absolutely zero complaints about the saddle. Now let's jump into the discussion with Aaron. Oh, how are you guys? Doing good. Yeah, I'm not doing too bad either. You guys haven't been in the woods yet? I have. And? Haven't had much luck, but I've been out there. Gotcha. Well, that's I, the way it goes. Yeah, I just got back from elk hunt on, um, oh, geez, what day was it? Sunday? No. I guess it had been Thursday of last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thursday of last week. Um, a lot of walking and not a whole lot of elk. Yeah. That's that's typical early season. Well, we had a pretty crazy weekend, actually. And the opening weekend, usually not that much uh, activity. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I don't think that anybody's opening weekend can kind of compare to what you went through. <laughs> no. No. Um, how do you want to start things off? You guys are awesome with your notes. I'm sure you got a, a chronological set of... <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so I guess, you know, just so, like, the listeners know, like, right off the bat, like, we just had you on, like, what, a couple weeks ago? A couple podcasts ago, I guess. So roughly a yeah. month ago. And in the time since we released that podcast, obviously hunting season has started and you go ahead and send me a picture of a mountain lion with an arrow in the face, which <laughs> is just unreal. So that's what we want to really dive into this, 
this week on this podcast is like, what the heck happened? Like, this is such <laughs> a rare, unusual scenario. I want to know not only what happened, I want to know how it all went down. I want to know what was going through your head. I want to know a whole bunch of stuff. I want to know what happened when the fishing game got there, that whole process, what you learned. So maybe we should just start with like, you know, just give us a, an overview of like what the trip was. What were you up there to you do? You know, like, you give me, yeah, just give me an outline. Cool. So if, if you want to stop me, just, I can see you, the, re, the listeners don't know, but just raise your hand because there's details. Um, and I've told the story many times now, of course, but I, I'm, I'm honestly reliving it, you know, the, the what ifs that I, that I really want to get into once you're here. So my, my best buddy in the world, Jake Chef and I, we always go to the Missouri breaks. Um, it's up in the northeast corner of Montana, the, the Missouri River breaks. It's real rough country. It's it's badlands and timber, and there's elk in there, and uh, it's a draw to get the tag. And luckily, we've drawn tags. I think we've been going like 17 years now, and we make three trips a year. About every other weekend, we go up there and spend four or five days. So this is this is uh, very familiar ground. You should know. I spent lots and lots and lots of time in there, um, and I know there's cats in there. Um, but I've never seen one. I've never seen a cat in my life live before this moment. I've never, um, I go there to avoid the grizzly bears that are in other areas of the state. And, uh, <laughs> I don't want to, I, I don't want to have that be our next podcast. Believe me. <laughs> I, I told the fishing game that there's always a first, but anyhow, um, I did have a buddy. I should tell you about four years back. Um, his girl, he set his girlfriend up on a wallow, and and then he went hunting over the ridge and so about 30 yards away she saw a cat walk across the far edge of the wallow and and that was the first time any of us had seen one like sasquatch stories so you know my wife i'm going to jump around a little bit to give you this backstory but i carry a pistol like every day like second amendment i'm, I'm always armed Smart and yet, man. well yeah but um I'm not a gun guy by any means. I like I've shot my pistol six times. You know, I to carry a weapon that you're not familiar with is worse than not carrying a weapon. And and I learned so much about all of this that is important. But um, when I'm when I'm down here and around Bozeman, when I'm hunting, I, I carry my pistol because there's grizzly bears. I don't want to deal with that whatsoever. But up there in the breaks. Even though my buddy had an incident, I mean, that one scared us a little bit, so we carried guns for a couple of times, but they're heavy. Nobody wants to carry that crap, you know? We're we're hiking in, like, four miles where the hot spot where we hunt elk are. I mean, we, we lighten the pack. Everybody likes to. We lighten the pack. We carry our game bags and what we need because we don't want to go back to the truck for the meat packs. But So that morning, literally opening morning, 2018 we're taking off from camp and and our trucks are side by side and we're both the lat we both put our hands on our pistols in our truck and we looked at each other are you gonna bring yours no nah, i don't want to bring god no nah, we're fine we just and we stuffed them right back in the truck which is the first decision that honestly saved my life my wife thinks otherwise but again i'm gonna jump around but had i had my gun i would have reached for my gun and, and that was an unfamiliar weapon, so I I don't think I would have survived. Not only could I even gotten it out, gotten it ready, 
made the shot. I'm, I'm not a fast, I don't practice fast draw shooting with my pistol. So right there already changed the day in my opinion. So we, we go hiking in, um, in the dark and the bulls are screaming, which is unlike any opening morning we've ever had. They're all over like dinosaurs in the dark. It's just amazing. And as we get about three miles back, the sun is just barely coming up in the glow and we can see the shadows out in the prairie land and these bulls are screaming and I, we see a really nice bull, uh, I don't know, 1,500 yards to our right, working our way where we were headed. And it, there's a, a left and right ridge in front of us that we usually go over and hunt farther back. But he was coming down this tree line. So you also need to know, my best friend Jake is a logger, and he got hurt in 2013. He fell out of a tree and broke nearly every bone in his body. And he shoots a draw lock, but he's the toughest son of a bitch I've ever met. But um, this is the second thing that changed the day. I said, one of us should stay right here. The other one should go over the hill for this bull approaching. So we have both sides of the ridge covered. He's just coming down the tree line. Do you want to stay here? Or do you want to go over? And he says, I'll go over. And I'm so, so, so thankful that he did. Honestly, he, he's a badass, but he's... He shoots a draw lock, and it's got to be at full draw cocked, and it's it's a cumbersome. So that that's important to the story. So I sat right there, and I use a, a Montana decoy, the fabric decoy, and I, I turn. I got the wind in my face really hard, which is another important detail. Uh, I set the decoy to my right and behind me about 25 yards on the, on the tip of this little finger ridge. So when the bull comes, if, if in fact he comes, They'll do that. They'll come right down the ridge line and hopefully see my decoy that's sitting up nice and high and come down the ridge line in front of me, 20, 25 yard shot. Um, so I, I, I knock an arrow. I lean my bow against a tree and I'm kneeling kind of behind the tree with the wind in my face and oh God, screaming all around. It was just exhilarating morning. Well, I'm cow calling and we, I give it an hour and the bull isn't coming and I can hear that they passed me and they're now headed up in the timber. So I got to catch up with my buddy. And so right here is number three. Had I put my arrow away in my quiver and then gone to retrieve my decoy, I wouldn't be here talking to you that much. I do know, but I just walked down the ridge. I retrieved my decoy and now reliving the story I carried it back to my bow, but I actually carried it as if it was walking up the ridge, not intentionally, but I'm holding it in front of me, you know, and I'm walking up the ridge like that, like here come the decoy walking up the, it, it sounds stupid now, but I don't know. These are details. So the cat must've been watching me. I had about a, I don't know, a 70 yard kind of an opening before it went into the big prairie, I'm kind of down in this low spot. So I can only imagine the cat was watching me for a while, I guess, but I had only walked 25 yards back to my bow with my decoy in my hand. And had I had my eyes gone to my pack where I'm about to roll this decoy up and stuff it in my pack, I wouldn't have saw it coming, but I, I caught movement. Again, where I thought the elk were going to come from. So my radar is always looking for, you know, pieces of elk, movement, anything. But I, I just caught a little bit of a movement. And <laughs> this is honestly the very first thought in my head. I saw this face of a cat. 
is about 45 yards away, I thought, kick ass. Because I've never seen a cat in the woods. And that lasted about a quarter second. And the next word, I can't say on public radio or anything whatsoever, but my emotion changed really fast when I see what this cat is doing. It's coming. And these are details. The fishing game made me go over, over and over and over and over. And it's hard. This whole thing was less than two seconds, but more than one second long. It's it's coming beeline at me. It's not walking. And, and I... When an animal walks, it's right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. When they pick up speed, it's two fronts, two backs. You follow me? The gait changes. I know, I just know a little bit about barely anything, but I know enough about cats that they can go like 60 miles an hour. This cat was not running 60 miles an hour, but this cat was not walking either. It was somewhere in between, which is a detail so critical to their investigation, but it, it was coming and coming fast at the decoy that I'm holding in front of my body, which is, in in hindsight, the, really one of the dumbest things I could have done. But so I start screaming. I, I raise my arms and the decoy over my head, and I go, get the fire truck, I'm going to fill in a word, out of here. And it didn't, it didn't care. What It didn't not want. In one instance, I threw down the decoy, my bow is right at my knee, leaning against a tree. I remember reaching for my bow, and all of a sudden I'm at full draw, and of course I shoot the easy V bow sight. That's what I do. I, I, I can see in my brain the V coming up, and it encompasses this cat. And soon as both shoulders of the cat, the front shoulders, were in the V, I guess I slammed the trigger. I don't even remember hooking my release. I don't remember drawing my bow, but I raised the V and framed it and touched it off. And I heard crack. And I saw that the arrow struck in the head somewhere. The, The cat immediately turned left at about 16 yards is where the arrow impacted the cat. One more, one more touchdown. And then it would have been on me, but it, it sharp turned left. I could see the arrow sticking out of its face. I'm shooting a light up knock. We're finally legal in Montana to use those, which help. And I watched it run straight down that slope about a hundred yards and disappeared into the brush. And then I crapped myself. I mean, then I went, Oh my God, what the, what just happened? I mean, I, I honestly, people are going to, the fishing game had it. So (laughs) I, I just sat there in disbelief. And I just grabbed my stuff. I didn't even pack the decoy. I just scooped up all my gear and I went running for my friend, screaming like, ah, you know, and and he was hundreds of yards over waiting impatiently for me to catch up so he could chase the elk. And as I approach, he's, he's standing up and getting ready to go. And I'm like, no, 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 sit your ass down. You're not going to believe what happened. I explained it to him and he's like, let's go see it. I said, no, no, I'm not going anywhere over there no i just had to sit my ass down and gather my thoughts and and relive things but so we gave it some time i mean you would with any animal that you shot but especially a dangerous animal and then we start going through our inventory we don't have guns we're four miles from the truck um he pulled out a little pocket knife that he had like a three inch long pocket knife 
And here we go, like kids, lions and tigers and bears going to go track this wounded mountain lion with a pocket knife. It was the dumbest. But we had to find out what happened. So a couple hours later, we gather ourselves enough to, to go back over there. And I show him where I was. I show him where the cat was, which almost didn't even leave footprints in the sand. It was amazing. Their, their paws are so padded, I guess. But it took us about a half an hour to, to figure out where she went, and I, I saw blood coming out of her face when she took off. I knew there was a blood trail. It took us quite a while to find it. I don't know if my buddy was starting to not believe me. I've never told him a lie in my life, but, it, it, you know, what? and then all of a sudden we find a horrendous blood trail, and we track it with this freaking pocket knife, and it went down into the bottom and then up and over one little more little ridge, and, oh, my God, there's a mountain lion laying there with an arrow, just like your shock and disbelief when you saw the picture, I'm just floored. Thank God it's dead, but I didn't want to freaking touch the thing. I, I just, I, it, it's unlike any animal I've ever walked up on. I've never killed any dangerous game. I've killed a bear, I guess, but uh, it's just different, man. Just still trembling. You know, we talked about it for a few minutes. I in this moment. <clears throat> I shouldn't have moved the animal, but once I got brave enough to kick it at first and then poke it at first, and then, you know, of course, we had to take a couple of pictures. So we, we moved it about eight feet and uh, put its head into a, like a little crotch of a tree so we could take a picture. And then I crawled up on the hill enough to get a cell phone signal and, and called the fishing game. And um, I'm sure you got lots of questions now that I'd love to, to tell you. So when you first saw that, that head sticking out. Was it a, like basically like a slow motion when it started coming at you, or did it just seem like it was so fast, like you couldn't react? I mean, like, how did that kind of play out? Like men- mentally, what was going on? Absolute straight line to me, but I mean, it, I'll, I'll keep both feelings in my gut till I die. But the the first, I, I love animals. I would never kill an animal that I wasn't going to eat or whatever. I've never hunted lion, but um. You know, that, that first impression as a conservationist, as a hunter, was was cool. You know, like th- something I've never, ever seen before. And the emotion changed on a dime. I mean, immediately into a feeling that, honestly, I've never felt before. And I can only imagine, the only way I can, I can really explain it is I, I wasn't afraid I, I flipped into a survival mode that I think I, I've never been in combat. Honestly, I've never been in the armed services. My only regret in life, but I can only imagine that's what a, a soldier feels in battle. It, you, you can't have fear. You have to have a survival instinct that just comes out of you. Like, like everybody, we're all big, tough guys and we protect, we protect our family. And I can't tell you the thousand thoughts that have gone through my head. If someone were to, come into my house at two in the morning, you think you're going to grab that baseball bat and beat this guy out the window, or you think you're going to shoot him in your hallway. But until that moment hits you, what, what you do in that instant, you have one second. I mean, I honestly, I, I trained in Aikido for years and years and years, and we train our self-defense moves until they are instinct, until they are a reaction. And that's the only thing I can think of. One second, I thought, how cool. The very next second was, 
survive. And and like I said, I, I almost kind of blacked out grabbing my bow. I mean, and, and in all honesty, I mean, a lot of people have trouble believing in this, but I mean, did the EZV save my life? I tell you what saved my life is my familiarity with my equipment, my rehearsal with my equipment. And because I build the EZV bow site, I've been filming demo videos for three years, like rolling balls. I mean, it is unbelievable for fast target acquisition. That's what it's designed to do. But I have trained myself immensely in doing this quickly, fast. I, I shoot a, a Scott release with just an open hook that I can hook in without looking at the loop. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my, I find the loop with my thumb and I hook it on and I do it the same way every time. I, I've told archers for years, there's only two things you have to do to master all of archery. Step one is shoot a bullseye. Step two is repeat step one. And that is every single detail is the same every single time. So muscle memory, you know, just repetitive motion. Man, this is 1.5 seconds that I will carry for till my grave. But honestly, not to make it an easy V commercial, but if you had pins of any kind, whatever it was set at, if you burned is the word I want to use. If you burned one second to think, to have to think, how far is she as she's coming or which pin do I use, it would have been over. So would it would it have been a different circumstance using a peep site? I hope we never, ever, ever find out. But I will tell you that I've trained with my equipment so much that the V did what it was supposed to do. I V'd her, and, and then they're like, well, I've, I've got a lot of comments. I get a lot of flack on, on Facebook. There's a lot of antis, and I mean – it's a horrible picture. I couldn't wipe the blood off the picture. I can't touch anything. It's evidence till the fishing game comes. And by the way, they took the cat. But um, so it's gruesome. I would never post a picture like that except to, you know, tell this story. But um, it, the fishing game looked at this and their investigation like, how did you do this? Right. I mean, I hit this thing dead square in the nose. I am a good archer. I am not that good. I'm just not. But to, to hit something in the nose. But guys are like, if you're aiming at the, they don't understand how our sight works, and that's fine. But if you're aiming at the shoulders, how the hell do you hit the animal in the nose? Well, the, when it's running in line, that nose is the center of the mass of the front of the animal, the shoulders. I mean, dead center was the nose. And of course, upon all their examinations, we spent five hours out there. I know we're jumping around, but. That arrow went straight down her nose. It was a 100-pound female through down or straight down her throat into her heart like shish kebab. I hate to be cruel, but in no other position, like th- if, if this cat was sitting on a log looking at me and I hit it in the nose, the arrow would not have penetrated its body, you see? So the way this thing is running, beelining, is her, her head is down in attack position is the only it's it's just the only outcome but believe me they grilled me they measured all this they measured that they could see that they found the footprints and you know it, it's craziness it, it's just insane how long did it take the fishing game to get out there dude great question um first i didn't honestly know that they would care uh you know 
some guys really embrace their fishing game or DNR or whatever, and some guys not so much. I have taught bow hunter education for almost 20 years, so I, I believe them to be the good guys. So, of course, I called 1-800-TIPMONT, which is our, our – it was Saturday morning. Who's going to answer the phone, right? So that's our 1-800-poaching hotline and called up and explained it. And it was wonderful. First, the woman asked if I was okay, which – was it was pretty cool i you know thank you for thinking of me first um instead of acting like i'm a criminal or something because you just never know so um she said i'll, I'll have a warden call you back stand right there because i had real bad cell phone signal glad we got it at all but um she's i'll have a warden call you back in minutes so she went through her rolodex calling wardens or something and i waited for about an hour um and i didn't get a call back so we just left the cat as is, and we walked back to camp, which took about 45 minutes. And it's exhausting walk, and we're I'm beat, and I'm riled up. So I just get to camp. I just get my boots off. I'm in my slippers, you know, stuffing a sandwich down my throat. I'm so starving. And here come two big power wagon Dodge pickups, two of them. I couldn't believe it. Come rolling down our trail. We, we told them what road we're on, where our camp was, and what. They come storming in. Um, in minutes, they were in fact walking back. There was an airplane, and out there, there's a lot of ranches, and a lot of guys are like dusting their crops and stuff. So, we see airplanes a lot. But mm -hmm. this airplane circled us like four or five times. And I later asked, I said, Was that you guys? They say, Yep. I mean, they had a plane over us in minutes. Unbelievable. It is opening day, a lot of crazy stuff happens maybe out there. But, um, so within minutes, the trucks were there. And I said, guys, it was, it was two guys and a gal. Um, the gal looked like she'd probably been on the job for 30 years. She was the experienced one, obviously. But um, I said, you got to give me a few minutes to get some fluids in me. Obviously, they want to go right back out there. And they didn't even bring a four-wheeler. You're not allowed to bring any wheeled vehicles into the Charlie Russell refuge where we're at. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I was really hoping for a ride back. It's a, <laughs> it's a gated road, you know, for crying out loud. I'm a, I'm an old guy. So anyways, we, we hung around for about a half an hour showing them pictures that we took and, and doing our written statements. And then we, and then we started hiking back in there and uh, all three of them in dress shoots and bullet or dress shirts and dress slacks and bulletproof vests um, hiked all the way back in there. So I, honestly, there's a lot more we'll go over about it, but I was really impressed that they were there. I was impressed. They were worried about my safety first. They wanted to know if we needed medical attention out there and they, they took it really seriously and, and we're on spot on man on the scene. So when you guys get back there and I'm assuming they're asking you questions the whole way up. And then once they get, I guess, to the scene, do they want to see, the animal first or do they want to see kind of where the shot happened and, and try to piece together, you know, where the tracks were and, and all that kind of stuff first. Yep. So we're getting clumped. I was trying to, they were starting to get wore out in the hike and that. So I, I kind of pointed about, she's going to be right down in that gully, you know, as we, we got about a hundred yards or so. Um, and then we got up to, to let them know where we were going. We were almost there. And then we get about, 60 yards away and they wanted me to stand back they you know it's a it's a crime scene or whatever it is so so i pointed where they should go and and i sat on the 
on the ridge unarmed again, I should add. I <laughs> didn't bring my gun or bow this time. I was, uh, And I'm in shorts now. I'm, um, but I sat on the ridge rubbernecking, looking behind me all the time. And they spent about an hour down there measuring stuff, looking over the cat, took a whole bunch of pictures themselves, obviously. And uh, after about an hour, they, they started loading her up. Um, we actually got a game card in there, and, and they loaded it up. And then we went up. It was about a little over 100 yards, maybe 150 yards from where the shot happened. Um, me and one of the officers uh, went up there, and I showed her where the cat was. She took pictures where the – you could see where – the left turn happened. You really couldn't see her approach whatsoever. I mean, they, they just don't even make any noise coming. It's unbelievable, but, um, little bit of evidence there. And then of course the blood trail started. So, um, took some pictures, took some measurements. What was interesting. She knows her cats way more than I do. And, and now that she had seen the cat, she's really certain it was a two year old female, which, is that adolescent age. So she, first she started to tell me, well, she probably smelt you. And she, I said, no way. I had a headwind blowing hard. She did not smell him. She came in from downwind, which a- adolescents make mistakes. I have an adolescent in my house and he makes mistakes every single day. And I, <laughs> I can, I can understand that, you know, um, if it was a 200 pound experienced Tom, he probably would have circled his prey and, and got a whiff of what it was, and hopefully I smelt wrong and he would have left me alone. That in, in hindsight, that's probably happened to us many times. But here we get a cat that's um, young and anxious to prove something and doesn't really know any better, you, you know? A, a two-year-old female, I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah. So we did all kinds of analyze. I had a ton of questions. Um, she says, this one's hard to believe, but she says it's the first lion defensive kill with a archery equipment in Montana. I was shocked to hear that. She told me a few stories about some, some rifle hunters and stuff that uh, kind of went that way as well. But anyways, so then we hauled it back to camp and uh, then they sat in their trucks and Man, I tell you what, they they combed my whole background. They knew that we had a, a closing interview, and they were they had some details. Uh, you know, they you told her it was running. You told us it was trotting. I'm like, I I don't know, 34 miles an hour, eight. I don't know. I mean, it, all I can tell you is it wasn't walking and it wasn't running full speed. It was somewhere some details to iron out, and and then they they drove off with the cat to. Uh, they they said it was going to go to a museum. I don't know. <laughs> How many mountain lions are they? Do they estimate there are in Montana? That's a great question. I'm not brave enough to Google yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, I mean, serious. I I'm out there a lot. I'm out there a lot by myself, which isn't smart. Um, my hunting partner lives on the other side of the state now that we've moved to Bozeman. So, you know so many lessons to learn so many things that maybe I would do differently, but being aware of what's out there. And when you're calling, I mean, I've even called bears. We do that in the springtime using predator calls, but had that cat, if the cat came from downwind and smelt me or didn't smell me, it would have been behind me. I would have never known. I mean, it, she would have jumped on my neck, ripped my neck out before I would have, 
it just unbelievable. I I relive and rethink the details again. Had I had I knocked my arrow before I went to retrieve my my decoy, there's no way I could have loaded an arrow and done that. Devil's in the details. Yeah, then it almost would go into survival mode where you're just kind of swinging swinging the bow at it or whatever you can do and just pray. <laughs> and I get idiots on on Facebook and so oh, you could have fought that little cat with your hands, dude. Hundred pound. I don't know. I'm actually allergic to cats too. How cats? I want nothing to do with them. But they've they've scratched me up enough that a hundred pound. I got two hundred pound golden retrievers that can kick my ass wrestling. I'm not a I'm not a huge man. That's uh, that's death all around it right there. So question for you: You say that sometimes you would bring your handgun with you. Would you typically have had your handgun on your pack, which might have been on the ground, or would have been on your body um, when this occurs? How how would you normally carry your gun? I can tell you it will not be on my pack ever again. <laughs> uh, I've gone back and forth. I actually use a, uh, what the heck do you call that thing? Um, check six holster. That's on. That's how I carry it every day. It's 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 on my back, on my belt, in a kind of an upside down holster so you can grab it with one hand um and that's where it'll be anytime because i have often ditched my backpack to belly crawl for antelope for mule deer that last 80 yard you know you almost i've taken my boots off and snuck through the grass and try to get the shot on it you leave your gear behind never again never ever again i'm also gonna put a knife i mean i, I carry a havilon knife i think it's the best skinning knife i bone out that we, we killed an elk the next day. That's another story. But 700-pound animal, I boned out with a blade that's an inch and a half long. I don't carry a Rambo knife out there, but I'm going to have something within reach. I, and that's another point of my bow hunter education that I teach. I always teach to have a knife that you can get with one hand. Should you fall out of a tree stand or what, and you are hanging by your by your safety harness, Usually, it's, it's not a comfortable situation. At least you can reach that knife with one hand and open it, a, a fast flip open knife, to cut yourself free from a tree stand. So that's part of my, my tree stand gear, always, to have a knife on the outside of my body. But I will have something forever now, and hopefully I never, ever have to need it. But Yeah, once I started carrying a Havilon myself, it definitely makes you feel like you're very underprepared if something like that ever were to happen. <laughs> I, you know, our bows don't have bayonets on our stabilizers. But I've <laughs> thought about that. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll you, make one I of mean, those now, <laughs> dude. Yeah, the bow bayonet. But um, it's a next invention. About yeah. three days later, I mean, I don't know. I'm not gonna whine. There's guys out there with bigger troubles, but this was a life and death experience, and I have a touch of a touch is all I'm gonna credit my with some PSD, PTSD or something. But my my shop where we build the sites is, is just behind our house, which is really cool. And then there's another garage attached to our house. And I, I come in at like midnight and that garage door was open. This is like two nights after this happened. I'm walking back in and the neighbor's freaking house cat was in my garbage can and jumped out. And then I soiled myself like that. <laughs> I don't, That scared the bejesus out of me. I about fell over in my driveway so I'm a little jumpy right these days. Uh, even the next day, 
or even that night in camp, my hunting partner, I'm like tiptoeing around, just kind of in a daze, just a he's I don't know, he dropped something on our little plastic table out there in camp and it made us I, I just jumpy, man. Like I'm rubberneck looking around. Um Yeah, it, it's an awareness, dude. I can't tell you. And we got we got wolves out here, we got cats, we got I've heard so many stories. I had a, a buddy of mine had a grizzly attack and I thought Man, I would be I would be in the closet for the rest of my life with a flashlight, you know. And and that guy went right back out there during rifle season when he got out of the hospital into the same area up by, up by Glacier Park in the North Fork. I'm like, I don't know. You you just can't put yourself in them shoes until something happens again, and it it'll make you think thank for every day that you have and rethink things. I mean, it's a sport. We're out there to have fun, but you have to be aware of your surroundings. Yeah, definitely. I know I don't, I've never really had any uh, aspirations to go to like, you know, kind of that Western Montana or Northwest Wyoming where they have grizzly bears. Just because I've seen so many, you know, Facebook clips and stuff that have gotten shared. It's like, oh, do I really want to do that? Or do I want to go to someplace where I actually, you know, can maybe like black bears are not, not too scary to me. We got black bears here in Minnesota and they're really not very dangerous unless you have a wounded one and we have some wolves too, but they're, it's so rare that you actually see them. It's, it's probably like a cat, you know, where it's like most likely you're not going to be in trouble unless you have some freak scenario like that. Right. And that grizzly encounter that I told you about, my, my buddy was cow calling and real thick stuff. Like, like his visibility was like 12 yards. He's, he's working around and, and he, he stumbled on the grizzly. Like, you know, they, they bump into each other face to face. Like you would bump into someone in the supermarket and their reaction is then to, you know, reduce the, the danger. And she attacked him and attacked him really bad. But we've had lots, I I owned a bow shop here for 20 years. So I heard lots of stories from guys, but, and we carry guns, but man, we have with headlamps on, been boning out elk in the middle of the night too and loading bloody packs and and there's wolves and uh, god man i've got quite a few stories of guys shooting wolves that have surrounded them and when they were endangered so i'm not going to put names on them stories but uh yeah it's uh it's the wild there's no doubt and that's the thing especially in your country a lot of people are you know more worried about grizzly bears so they're more looking for grizzly bears or trying to make noise when in all reality, you know, they probably walk by more cats or cats walk by them than they ever know. You know, they may say, yeah, we encountered four grizzlies this year, but they may have encountered, you know, 15 or 20 cats and never knew it. Never know. I mean, they are so elusive. And, um, yeah, one of my buddies, one of my cop buddies here, he's a brave dude and he grew up in West Yellowstone and he kills a nice elk every year. He's he's on our Easy V team. He, he's posted a lot of cool pictures. He's been hunting the same ground for his whole life, his family ranch or what. And and uh, but he has three or four grizzly encounters every day that he's in the woods. Sometimes they're two hundred yards away. Sometimes they're forty yards away. And I don't hunt with him. <laughs> I I won't go there. And he tells me, you know, come on down. You're always welcome. I'm like. I don't know. The I-90 expressway is just to the north of us here in Bozeman, and I'm told the grizzlies don't like to cross the expressway. So I hunt 
where I believe there's a lot less. There's I don't think anywhere in Montana where there's not something with claws out here, but I hunt by myself too much, and I got a family that depends on me to do something stupid, so I try to pick my places carefully. But, boy, you know, we got some stories. There's no doubt. So when you guys actually get something down, like an elk or a mule deer or whatever, do you typically, like especially if you're in the grizz country, do you do anything at the kill site where you quarter the animal to try and keep predators at bay? Well, that's a great question. I want to get the hell out of there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we we typically bone out our animals. I don't like carrying bones because we're usually four miles in. So we we bone it all out, <clears throat> excuse me, bone it all out on the spot. When we're in moderate grizzly, because I don't go where they're thick, but when we're in moderate grizzly, we'll then quarter them and, and just to make it a little quicker, and then we'll bone them out in camp. But, you know, it, regardless, you're an hour, hour and a half with a with a headlamp on and a little tiny knife in your hand. It, I, I don't have my gun on my belt, although I will now. In fact, I've only – I just hunted in my tree stand for deer the other – two nights ago or something. It was my first time in the tree stand for the year. And not only was I rubbernecking, looking around, it was along the banks of the river – um, but I'm looking up in the trees too. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not being, I'm, it's going to take me a while to be still. If you hear a noise behind you, you're supposed to move very, very slowly and see what made that noise. My, uh, my reaction time is a lot faster than that right now. I'm, I'm looking up. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I had one other cat encounter when I first moved to Montana, which is almost 20 years ago. Now I should say this too. I grew up in Detroit, the the outskirts of Detroit, not the inner city, but um, but we played down there a lot as teenagers. I know what fear's like. I've had, I've been in some pretty spooky situations, and I, believe me, I, I honestly feel safer in the Montana woods than I do downtown Detroit. Sorry, guys, but um, I, I have a little street spark to me. But I moved to Montana, and I know these things are out there, and I didn't have any friends yet, and I'm gonna hunt. So I was, it was actually the last day of season. I, I carried my grandfather's 30, 30 rifle. I haven't hunted with a gun in years and years, but it was just, I just lost my grandfather. So on the very last day, I went in to gather my tree stand and to take the rifle to fill the tag if I could. And I took down the tree stand and I'm sitting on this ridge and it's a, it's a, um, what do I want to say? A drainage, I guess. And in the evening, the air cools and it comes down the drainage. So I got the wind in my face. And anyways, this fog rolled in really thick. I could only see maybe 40 yards and I, and the 30, 30 is a great weapon for that. So I'm, I'm kind of on this Ridge and I got maybe a half an hour of daylight left, but on the downwind side where I have to go out the trail leading out of this woods, I'm about two miles back right there in the fog, maybe 300 yards away. I heard, a cat scream which is the most man hollywood holly uh halloween story blood curdling wow you're like in the fog where i need to go out and i thought okay well <laughs> terrifying uh, but i have a rifle I, I i stick it in my in my hip like the old cowboy movies in that direction but i think well it got my scent and it's screaming at me that I'm in its hunting ground, obviously. So it's going to leave because it, it can smell me because it's on my downwind side. 
so I stay <laughs> instead of leaving immediately. And about 10 minutes later, it screams again about half as close. It's like 100 yards in the fog. It screams again at me. I tell you what, I'm terrified. I'm new to Montana. I was terrified. And I put my I got put my tree stand on my back and I circled that sound a little out of the way to get I couldn't go down the trail cuz it was right there at the bottom and I finally got to the trailhead and I walked backwards for 200 or 2 miles with this 3030 in my gut pointing up in the oh my god dude I was terrified and that was oh gosh now 17 18 years ago and I never saw it and it never jumped out of the fog at me but it it makes you it makes it I've been charged by moose three times I've had some bear black bear encounters you know it's it's an adventure out here but this was unlike anything ever 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 and I hope never again well you had another 15 years it might happen <laughs> right well I don't know that I'm going to go out in the woods and practice my fast draw with my pistol, but I'm, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to be a little bit more aware of my surroundings. I'm not going to walk with a decoy in front of me. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I don't know what the lesson to this is. I mean, obviously I luckily accidentally did everything right and I survived it, but um, I don't know what advice I can give to people as much as know your equipment, know your gear, be prepared with your surroundings, and uh, come home safe, man, you know? I wonder about bear spray. Do you think bear spray would have had any effect if you would have been able to deploy it on the cat? I don't great, know. Great, great question. And, and I had that in camp because I took it off my pack because I wasn't in bear country per se. But I don't know if you guys have ever – bumped into bear spray i'm a huge believer in bear spray one because i'm a terrible shot with my gun and that thing sprays wide but i actually had twice i've been in contact with the chemical once selling a canister to a guy in my store i used to sell it and he wanted to know how it worked so right at closing time it's a funny story i had a date with my wife about an hour later for dinner which rarely happens but he wanted to open the package and see how the safety worked and stuff. <laughs> so I'm leaning over the counter. He's on the other side by the register. And I, I, un, I open this, I pull a little safety valve off and I bump the freaking trigger. I don't know how the hell I was in a rush trying to get out of the store, of course. And I bump it and it sprays the, <clears throat> spray the cash register in between us. Luckily, <laughs> neither one of us got a hit, but we got a mist of this stuff, just a few molecules and we both ran out of the store, choking, throwing up, rolling in the grass, just a few little molecules. It just burns your skin like I can't even tell you. And uh, that was horrible. And then I show up at dinner. I look like I got the chicken pox. My <laughs> wife is freaking out. What the hell happened to you? And, I mean, for hours. And then the second time, my, my that same buddy and I, Jake, we're hunting on the west side of Montana, and we get back to the truck at, like, noon, and he somehow, his safety had come off of his bear spray, and he throws his little fanny pack up on the dashboard of the pickup as I'm climbing in the other side, and the freaking canister goes off and sprays the whole inside of the windshield and and just barely but fumigated me. 
same thing. I don't know why I hunt with this guy. He's great. <laughs> but uh, he about killed me with the stuff. So I very, very much believe in it. The trouble is nobody wants to test it and be, be uh, what do I want to say, knowledgeable with your equipment. Because once you break the seal, like we worry how much is left or, you know, nobody wants to blow a $50 canister testing this stuff. But that's, that's I think, my most underlying lesson to all this is know your equipment. Whatever it is you're going to rely on for your safety you got to know what you're doing. And, and I'm a huge advocate for that. Like I do seminars for hunting stores coming into hunting season. Um, it, it's called get in elk shape. And a lot of it is physical conditioning. But then we go through your backpack like I do in my bow ed class about every piece that's in your backpack. If you buy a friggin' whatever piece of survival gear, uh, let's say a fire starter, and you don't know how that piece works, like, Use your fire starter Memorial Day weekend, Labor Day weekend when you're camping with the kids. Don't just grab the gas and the big lighter and make a fire. Use and practice your gear. If you're going to put it in your backpack, you better know how to use it inside out and in the dark without your flashlight if your batteries go dead. Know how to use your fires. Be comfortable with every piece. I have a, a piece of cardboard. As I'm pulling things out of my backpack, I, I bring out this sign that says confidence. And they all kind of look at me. It's confidence in every piece of gear that you choose to go in there. And, you know, we're all gear nuts. We change our gear a little bit every year and add and subtract. But if you're going to bring it with you, better know it. And had I brought my gun with me, I probably could. I don't know. I hope. But I'm, I might not have been telling you this story because I'm not that confident with my pistol. So take take what, what you want from the story. But it, it's it's all about. Yes, I know my bow, and yes, I know my Easy V very, very well, and I've done a lot of demo shooting stuff that no one probably will ever do. I'm a bow nerd, but it worked, and when I needed it in one second, it was muscle memory, and it was instinct, and I survived it, but uh, so many what-ifs. I can't even tell you how many variables I've thought about. I mean, to me, thinking about the story, you know, if you would have had bear spray, you said you had a the wind in your face, you know, and the cat came from that direction. So it may have done you more harm than the cat. Oh you man. Know, if you were trying to spray it into the wind, it was just going to come back onto you. And then that could have made the situation even worse, basically. Cause now you can't see it and you have a cat on you. <laughs> oh, can you imagine that just gave me freaking goosebumps? Thank you. I will not sleep tonight. Now added another. Yeah, totally dude. I mean, it was a good headwind too. I don't know, 15 miles an hour or something. There's no doubt. Holy it, crap, you spray that into the wind. To me, when I always hear this debate in grizz country, which I never want to hunt in, by the way, I have no desire to. Grizzlies are enough to keep me out of it. Uh, when I always hear this debate of, you know, bear spray versus a gun, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I always have. There's very few days in the West where it is not windy and where bear spray would be highly effective. Because um, I think you'd spray a mist and it would be gone before the bear got to you, basically, or it would be in your face. You know, somebody like me, I'm a gun nut and use a gun daily. Um, so I have pretty good confidence that I could hit something if it was charging me without really thinking about it. But, but you know, it's something somebody, everybody needs to consider. Because, like, in your case, you know, your gun may have been on your pack. Your pack was on the ground. You know, you would have had to get to your pack to get your gun out. You know, bear spray may have also been on your pack even. 
then you got to factor in was the wind going to be a problem. So there's, I think there's a lot of takeaways here on what what was done luckily and what was just you know good prepared, like you said. It's insane to think about the variables. I mean, like I said, I carry my pistol almost every day. Honestly, I don't carry one in the pipe a lot. Just I don't want an accident. I mean, I think we're more likely to have an accident than an intruder. But, man, just so many things to think about. The pack on the ground. If I had my gun, somehow I got my gun in my hand, I would have been shooting her on top of me. And maybe I would have survived that. But, God, what what could for her to get her claws into me? I don't even want to think about it. It left a good scar for her to improve on the story i mean what better could know <laughs> yeah i mean that's you know that's the thing is you never you luckily everything went right for you um you know so that's the great thing ultimately you know but like you said there's so many what ifs you know could you have got to your gun could you have got to your bear spray you know what if you had unknocked your arrow and put it in the quiver and walked back there you know you'd have been, like garrett said beat her with a bow god i don't even want to fathom dude i <laughs> Don't even want to fathom it. It blows my mind. It just blows my mind, and uh, yeah, it'll it'll it's gonna change. Every morning or evening, I'm out there in the dark for a long, long time. It it really, I'm not afraid to tell you, I'm, I'm gonna be a weenie for a while. Regarding the the bear spray, there's a bunch of videos on YouTube of of people actually using it, not like on bears, but just like you know testing it out or, or some guys that like to shoot it in their buddy's face to get a bunch of views. And that stuff comes out with a lot more forceful spray than you would imagine. It's not like a bottle of Windex. It comes out, I would think that if it'd take a pretty stiff headwind to, to render it, you know, sort of ineffective, but you could probably still get some, some blowback, I would think, on the, the edge of the mist. I actually had a, a bear spray story. My, uh, one of my buddies, this was back in college, uh, he shot a black bear and I filmed him and we went to go track it and he gives me a bottle of a bear spray and I'm like, how do you use it? I don't know. So I just put it on my hip. We started walking and we went up a hill and, you know, take a big lunge steps to get up this hill. And I don't know if the, I'm assuming the thing didn't have a safety or it wasn't on or something, but the thing got caught in the crease of my hip and it, it went off and shot a big mist, like probably six, eight inches past my face. And of course your oh. gut reaction when that noise goes off is, <gasps> You know, just gasp, like, what the heck was that? And I just, it wasn't, luckily it wasn't like a strong mist, but I got enough of it that I just started, I was just wheezing for like 10 minutes. And then, of course, we get back to the, the house, and I never washed my hands before going to the bathroom, and that was my next biggest mistake. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. can't even imagine. That, no, it that is. was worse it, than the wheezing. <laughs> Not to plug a company or pick on one if I get this wrong, but I've been to lots of hunting shows, and uh, UDAP or Counter Assault, it's one of the two, both made right here in Montana, they have a, a demonstration set up that they have a like a 3D target bear that charges you, I think from about 25 yards, it comes down a, a railroad track, and people line up to do it, and they have a demo that, I don't know, it sprays water or something like that, it's not the chemical, obviously, but you know... You're, it's like it's like you're on the top of the hill of a roller coaster. You know what's going to happen next, and rarely does anybody get the shot off before that bear is 
I'm going to say one yard away. I mean, it's, I don't know, man. It, it just, it really terrifies me. I don't want to give all these guys nightmares, but something comes in your tent in the middle of the night. That's not where I want to blow up air spray. Mm-hmm. So, so looking at it from the, the investigation standpoint, what, you know, if say if a listener goes through this down the road where they have to take some animal in a self-defense situation, what would you recommend them to do compared to what you did? You talked about you moved it um, at one point to take photos of it or something like that. You know, having been through that, the encounter, and then through the investigation part, what are your recommendations to the people listening to this as what they might want to do compared to what you did? You know, I do want to I do want to say this, um, and I wish I could remember their names. I can't. It was two two gentlemen and a gal, but they were of the utmost professionality. I mean, I've heard some bad stories where people, you know, the three S's shoot, shovel and shut up. And, uh, that didn't cross my mind, but I got an education from them a little bit. And, and the obvious is the dumb part of us tracking a wounded, dangerous animal with a freaking pocket knife. So their, their advice, their, their lesson before they drove away was, the second it sh- the second it happened, I should have called them. Um, they didn't like that I waited two hours to call them. In my defense, I didn't know what happened. You know exactly. I knew I hit this thing in the head. I didn't know if I hit it in the ear. I don't know if it's dead. I don't know if it's waiting for me. That was the way that we had to travel to get the way out. So I needed to get for myself. I needed to get some more information. And I'm curious as hell. Obviously to go see this thing. So what they wanted me to do is call them immediately and let them blood trail it, figure it out, whatever it was. Um, and of course I shouldn't have moved it. That's my mistake. Um, that was, that was their biggest, that was their biggest hang up. I think looking back that they, they wanted to, they want, and I, I really believe so much of it was for my safety I, we had no business tracking a wounded, dangerous animal with a freaking pocket knife. That's ridiculous. But at the same time, I don't want to waste their time. If it was a, a swing and a miss and I wounded the thing and it left me alone, I would have went on elk hunting, I guess. You know, I I don't. It, it's, it's tough to replay. Every incident is the same. But their instructions upon driving away was when something happens, call us immediately. And... I called them 10 minutes after we retrieved the cat, but um, that was their advice. Don't touch it. Don't don't pursue it. Let us do the rest. And that's what I will do next time. Was there ever a point in the investigation where you were kind of nervous or thinking, man, they, they might not believe this is self-defense? Or, or I mean, were they giving you kind of feedback on what their thoughts were as they were going? Or did they seem like they were just kind of taking, you know, kind of aggressive line of questioning and made you feel nervous or how did that all play out? You know, I hate, this is the truth. I'm just going to tell you the truth, but moving from Michigan, the DNR, they call it department of natural resources in Michigan. My experience, I've been hunting since I I was old enough to hunt. If you run across the guy out there, not only will they help you load your deer in your car, they'll tell you which farmer needs help with some deer management. They'll tell you, 
hey, I just saw a big buck cross the road before. They were, I, I never doubted that they were on my side growing up, right? Um, they're, they're on the side of the hunter out there. But I will t- honestly tell you, owning a bow shop in Montana, I had a gentleman, I heard the story, I contacted him, and he, he came to tell our sto- his story in our bow hunter education class where he shot a bear, spring bear hunting, that turned out to be a grizzly. He made a mistake, and he called the fishing game immediately, and he said, oh my gosh, I shot the wrong bear, and grizzlies are protected in Montana and whatnot. And this guy was in his early 20s, and they prosecuted him to the fullest extent of the law. Not only a big fine, I mean, he went with them, he packed out the animal, he did everything as right as I can imagine that I would ever do, and yet they fined him, and they suspended his hunting licenses for five years, which would be the death of me. That would, that would, that penalty, so... That was a terrible story, and that kind of stopped me in my tracks, and I, I started to understand why so many people fear the authorities, and the, the 3S rule is whispered in many crowds, you know? You just, it, you feel like you're guilty till proven innocent, and so I actually had him come tell that story to my bowhunter education class, I don't know, to... I, I don't know, not not to encourage them not to call them, but to, it was an honest story, and, and, and it was a tragic story, and that's terrible that they have that, but that's what happened. So, you know, did it cross my mind not to call them? No. When we found the cat, it, it, they had to be called. I honestly didn't think they were going to care. I didn't. I thought they would say, I'm glad you're okay, walk away, you know, and instead... They took it extremely seriously, and I was really, really impressed with their investigative skills. Um, you, you know, we're just telling stories and details through the whole thing, and they were listening and recording those things, and then they put their their three heads together and compared some details, and not until they came back to our camp when they were going to leave they grilled me on two things, which was, like I just said, they sh- I should have called them immediately. And I, I kind of felt the mood change just a little bit there. Uh, three things. My shot, which was incredible, to hit the thing dead square in the nose. And, and then the fact that, um, was it running? Was it walking? What was the speed of the approach? And I, I honestly, finally, I told them, look... <laughs> If I didn't want you to know about this, you wouldn't know about this. And it kind of stopped all three of them right there. And they were like, yeah, oh, kudos. You know, I got a point there. I could have pulled that arrow out and walked away. And there's blood coming out of a cat's nose. Nobody would have known what had happened. But for a lot of reasons, everybody needs to know what this happened. And I hope it gives some educational experience and some safety out there. That's what my whole life's been about. But, um, I, I, and again, I tried to explain how the paws are moving and the details of the approach. And I mean, I felt my life was in jeopardy and I did what I had to do. It was a reaction. So the evidence is the evidence. Honestly, the arrow was sticking out, I believe quite a bit farther when the cat turned. And I believe 
it ran into a tree or it hit the other bank of the driving the arrow deeper into her heart is my my thoughts on the on how it even got 150 yards or 125 yards away but um the fact that the head was in line with the body the the angle of the arrow i mean they really on the forensics note they really put it to grip so for one uh, about 10 seconds there at the back of the pickup when they were just about to leave they they kind of they wanted to clarify some things and uh i felt a little bit defensive right there they were i thought we were done i thought they had what they needed and they were grilling some details which is their job to do and was it a good experience the whole thing was awful i i had to kill an animal that i would that i wasn't going to eat that i would never kill otherwise um which is tragic but i survived is the good part of the story and uh it is what it is but they uh they really did their job to the nth degree and i i do applaud their efforts that's what they're out there to do i want them to investigate poaching incidents to the nth degree to protect our resources i want them to be on our side i felt in the end they were satisfied and and they were on my side but you know the accuracy of that shot is incredible again could you do it with pins i don't know and i certainly don't want to repeat it but i had to explain my product a little bit on why it does what it does and it's a it's a big it's a it's hard to believe it's a hard to believe story and i totally understand everybody's skepticism but um it happened and that's how it happened and uh I hope there's some educational takeaway from it. Did they give you much grief because you took pictures of it or you posed um, with pictures of it? They did. Uh, I was wondering that when I originally seen the pictures, that's what I wondered was if during the investigation they were going, because like you said, the shot placement, I don't think you could have walked up and placed an arrow any better um, from a shot placement on a charging cat. You know, so where the shot actually hit it is almost too good to believe that a cat was charging and then posing with a pitcher. I could see how you could have got a lot of grief from those two factors right there. Um, Cause like you said, it's not like you glanced off the side of the face or, you know, you nicked it shoulder. I mean, you center punched this cat about as perfectly as you could have shot it. And then with the photo, I'm sure they were like, well, the cat was probably standing there and this hunter just shot it. And then claimed it was charging him. Totally. And and the evidence showed otherwise. But I, I I strongly believe that was their that was their burden of proof. That was their their initial instinct. And I'm sure many people think the same. And and I don't blame them whatsoever. I mean, I'm as astonished as anybody. But only I know how much again training that I've done for that type of a shot. What I mean. I'm a bow nerd. I shoot my bow a lot, and I do a lot of crazy stuff that nobody else does. But absolutely, I'm sure that was their initial um, hill to overcome. This can't be right. And I will tell you, first, my first phone, or my second first phone call, honestly, I called the fishing game before I even called my wife. But as soon as we got back to camp, I told my wife, because my cell phone didn't work to call out there. It would barely text. So... I called on my buddy's phone. I called my wife. I texted her. I said, call Jake's phone. Everything's okay. For her to call Jake's phone would be something as out of line 
and I didn't want her to panic. So she called me seconds before the fishing game showed up, and I, I gave her the real short story. I said, we're all okay. This is crazy. This just happened. The fishing game just got here. Um, I'm going to send you a picture, but we're okay. And so I sent her two pictures, and <laughs> being Miss Easy V, her first impression was she's glad I'm alive. Her second impression is to tell the world. So she did a Facebook post right away. Um, not cool. Not cool. <laughs> I don't think my wife will listen to this. I don't want to put blame on her. But I did not even know because my phone doesn't even work out there until almost the very end of the investigation. When the when we we're standing at the tailgate, the very last few minutes of all this, like I said, one of the fishing game guys showed me his phone. They had already gone on Facebook and and saw this. And her post was, uh, we're so glad he's okay. You wouldn't believe this is crazy. Um, this just happened. It's a testament to how fast the EZV works. And it, it kind of had a taste of a commercial. And they did not like that. And, and honestly, I didn't like that. I'm, I hope I don't get in a fight with my wife over this. But that was that was pretty premature. But it certainly didn't help my defense whatsoever. But, I mean, it, it should also tell you that how strong the actual evidence was overcame a lot of the suspicion that they may have preconceived ideas over. I mean, they crawled through my background. I've never had a game violation. I've been on their side for a long, long time, taught bow hunter ed for a long, long time voluntarily. I mean, they know I'm one of the good guys for sure, but they did their due diligence. Yeah, it's just a, a wild, wild story. I, I hope I never have to experience anything similar for sure. I, I hope you don't either, my friend, because it, it, it doesn't go away with that moment. I, I, I honestly will tell you, I've rethought a lot of different things in my life and in my past and in my present and in my future and how to be prepared for for things that can happen out there in it. I mean, there's a lot of first aid type stories as much as I am in the wild, not to get off track, but I am not CPR certified. Um, I told you my buddy's handicapped. He's had lots of surgeries trying to keep him together. He shoots a draw lock. You got to be aware. I, I tell these things in bow hunter ed, but practice what you preach is something different. Totally. You need to know if your hunting partner takes medication you need to know. I just found out on this trip, my hunting partner I've been hunting with for 18 years is allergic to penicillin. I did not know that. We're back in the wilds together. Had something happened and he's out unconscious and, you know, medics show up. You need to know not only yourself and your well-being and, and take care of yourself in the wild, but understand your partner's needs and, and allergies and you know, allergic to bees. Hey, there's an EpiPen in this pocket. There, There's just so much education that can come out of this and other stories that make you better slow down a little bit and, and reevaluate what's in your pack, what's in your mind, what's in your surroundings. Again, you know, this is a choice that we do. We go into the wilds with a certain setup of gear and we want to come out with the uh, a smile and a story to tell and if if god allows some meat in the freezer last on the list of course but um safety being our number one there's there's a million stories and and 
and knowledge to come out of this that as much as I'm the teacher of this, the bow hunter education teacher, I mean, I've always had a, a safety harness on. I've taken chances I shouldn't have. And I think about the dumbest headline in the newspaper of the bow hunter ed instructor falls out of a stupid tree stand. You know, we know these things, but we, we cut corners. It's in the dark. We don't want to carry this into the woods. We don't want to do that. Man, guys, come home safe and tell the story. It's, uh, I, man, I'm just at a loss for words. It, it, it changed, it changed me. <laughs> well, we're definitely glad that you made it through that. That's for sure. I think everybody is. Man, howdy. Yeah, and we're glad that you took the time to, to come on and explain that. That's just, yep. it's wild, man. It's wild. Again, I apologize for the gory details. That picture is something I, I certainly don't want to give the anti-hunters any any credit to uh, use it against us. I've gotten a lot of flack, but it's just not something I want to be silent about either. I mean, it it it's uh, yeah, it's an experience. I hope nobody ever goes through, and you, and there's something to be learned from it to to keep us safe and. Uh, I got thick skin out there. Some guy, I've, I've heard all kinds of comments, and, and other guys are like, did you read the post? It, it, I had no choice. You know, it's, um, I apologize to the public for posting such a graphic picture. Facebook covered it up. You got to click on it. I don't blame, excuse me, I don't blame them a bit, but um, sometimes the wilds are not edited and uh not kind and that goes on every day out there it it's the real truth of the wilds and um god i i i feel horrible i can't remember his name but what was that australian alligator guy that that was that's what he did he lived in the wilds and it also was part of his demise you know you you mess with the bull you get the horn sometimes but take a minute and slow down and uh you know, if you, oh, crap, I forgot my gun back in camp, go back and get it. Just uh, take the time to be safe, guys. It's uh, it's real out there. Anything. Hooking up your safety harness, like I said, in a tree stand. The, the slightest, I don't know, I've been teaching the Bowhunter Ed Manual, and it says in there, you know, 80, 90, whatever the high percentage of accidents are self-inflicted. We mess with sharp blades and broadheads, and we cut ourselves, and, you know, stuff happens every day that we just, we just, we're in a hurry. We're always in a hurry. And, uh, there, there's even other things out there I've learned that can change the end of that story very, very quickly that, uh, makes you rethink things. So now it's still only September. Yeah. You, you still got more Montana tags, different, various species oh, to yeah. fill. Yeah, we got some things. Um, luckily the next morning, the whole weekend, um, the, the opening day obviously got pretty pretty uh, tied up. We spent many, many hours doing all that, and uh, and I was exhausted. But the, the it ended up pretty well. The next morning, we got into some elk and uh, joint effort. My buddy and I calling back and forth. We did take a nice 5x5 five five elk uh, kind of together. We always do, and we always split the meat because it's a, it's a heck of a crawl out of there. We work hard, and uh, so we did fill the freezer a little bit. We got some more tags to fill. We got some deer. We got some elk cutting to do yet, uh, some, some bee tags. Who knows, man? It's, uh, it's an incredible season. It's an incredible opening weekend, and uh, 
I'm ready to go for more, but I have uh, changed a lot, and uh, that gun will be with me, and I'm going to shoot it some more. And uh, yeah, you, your mind is your best weapon, everyday society as well as in the wilds. And uh, I've I've gone through a little bit of a reconditioning, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna improve my hunt in the future. And I hope I can spread some more education and and uh, yeah, I'll definitely get an awareness. I hope you guys be safe out there and enjoy the season and, and keep in touch. And thanks for bringing me back on. I know there's lots of things to talk about out there. This was a, this is a crazy subject and a, and a really hard to believe story, but I, I hope you can find what silver lining there is in it and educational. I hope your listeners uh, can just stop for a minute, man. And uh, you know, Hug your wife before you head off into the woods. And one thing I have always done that I've gotten lazy about doing is, again, I hunt by myself, but I, I used to buy my maps in pairs. And my wife can't read a map to save her life, but I would leave another map on the counter of where it is I'm going. Or I would at least tell her where I'm going and what my plan would be should the plan change because a lot of times we're out of cell phones distance. She can't read a map. She wouldn't come looking for me, but she could tell the authorities, look, the guy was supposed to be home at 9 o'clock, and he's not, and it's the next day, and this is where he said he was going. And I've gotten lazy about that over the years. And, again, just some of those little details that uh, I'm not going to cut corners. I, I escaped one here. This was, a, this was a shot over the bow to really rethink my, my strategy and what it is I'm going out there to do and uh, – Man, yeah, I'm, I'm going to slow down a little bit and uh, pay attention to pay attention to some details. Yeah, well, once again, we thanks for thanks for coming on. We'll, we'll keep in touch for sure, and hope you have a successful rest of your season as well. Mine opens up and and just uh, this weekend for whitetails. Oh, super cool, super cool. Well, get familiar with your equipment, guys. Go through your pack and uh, be safe out there. Let's, let's talk again again someday. And uh, to all your listeners out there, have a great, safe season. Enjoy the wilds. But come home to your family safe with a story. That'll do it for this episode. Just to give everyone a heads up, I'll be doing a public land challenge with some guys from the Hunting Beast, including Dan Infault and the crew from the Hunting Public, over the next few days. If you follow all three groups, we'll be posting information from the trip, such as strategy, updates, and other media. I'll be posting to... Instagram, Facebook, and uploading YouTube videos as often as I can, and so will everyone else, so make sure you're following The Hunting Beast and The Hunting Public. Also, make sure you're following the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, wherever you normally stream your podcasts, leave a review for the network on iTunes, and follow us on social media.